Hey there, this is Dee Yvonne Rivers, your host for Birth Moms Real Talk, a podcast where you will hear the journeys of birth mothers who have placed children in adoption and also have some emotional and tough conversations, or you may say hot topics about adoption. Listen in. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is D. Yvonne Rivers. I'm your host for Birth Moms Real Talk podcast, a platform for birth moms to share their story, their journey, where they've come from, where they're going, where they're seeking healing, where they're seeking growth. It allows them to tell their story. And you're here for moms who are in open adoptions, closed adoptions, young, old, whatever, have never told anyone before. So I'm just so happy to have as our guest today, Angie. And she's going to talk about her story. She's going to start, per se, where she is and where she grew up with and starting from her childhood and moving forward. So welcome, Angie. Hi, Yvonne. Thank you so much for having me and and doing this podcast. It's so important to get the stories and experiences of birth moms out there to the larger community. My name is Angie swanson Kiriako, and I use she, her pronouns And I want to acknowledge that I am joining you today from the traditional Tory of the Chumash people. I'm also the new executive director of an organization, a 501c3 Empower Alliance. And we exclusively serve birth mothers throughout the state of California, as well as birth moms throughout the country. So again, I'm really excited to be here. Very good. Very good. I think we were talking about where your territory you're in with that. So we have all kinds of story and history. So we'll move on with that and talking about share with us where you grew up and how was your life as a child? Sure. I am a Gen Xer and I grew up in uh, Orange County, California. I've lived in California my entire life. I am an only child. My parents divorced when I was 10. It was a very tumultuous, chaotic household. I've said a lot that my parents probably shouldn't have married. They were high school sweethearts and got married, I think, a few months after my mother graduated from high school because that's what, you know, you did in the the 1960s. And, And, you know, they were married about 10 years before they had me, and they probably should not have had any children. There was a lot of mental, emotional, and physical abuse growing up from my mother. My father was out of the house quite a bit. He worked a lot. And, you know, for a long time, I was really resentful of that. As an adult, though, I realized he was probably doing that to preserve his own well-being. Still, it was still, though, that I was the child where my mother directed all of her rage. I didn't find out until I was probably, oh gosh, in my early 30s that my mother, I knew my mother was an alcoholic. I always thought that she started drinking when I was a teenager. I didn't find out until my early 30s that she had been drinking years before that. So for me, that started putting pieces of the puzzle together. Like I would remember like times where, you know, I was in I was in the band when I was in elementary school and after a performance waiting outside uh, school for, you know, all the parents are coming or caregivers are coming to pick up the kids. I would, I was always the last child. And 
I would wait and wait and wait and would it get to the point then where a teacher or the principal would say, you know, honey, is anybody, is anybody coming to get you? Do you need a ride? And then eventually, you know, she would show up. Um, So there were a lot of instances like that, even, even thinking back to, you know, the police following her home one night and her having an altercation with the police in our driveway of our home. Um, let me ask you, Angie, sure. how, did that, how did that affect you? I mean, what impact that, because you were, you say elementary, so what, 10, 11, 12, that age uh, at that time? I have really vivid memories of being a toddler and her, you know, scream, you know, just screaming at me, hit, hitting me. Um, those were a lot of my memories and it's, uh, Interesting when I've looked back at old photos, um, you know, I don't, for most of them, I don't look like a happy child. Um, I was also a very anxious child. And, um, but every once in a while, I'll catch glimpses of ones where, you know, I look, I look happy or look, look, look like a child, you know, having fun. But, um, you know, it really, it really eroded my self-esteem, my self-worth. Um, you know, I felt unlovable. And of course I thought when, um, any type of outrage, you know, was always my fault because that's also what my mother always told me, Mm. you know, um, and this, um, and I should say if it's uh, triggering for anybody, I apologize who grew up in the same type of household, but it was, you know, the, you know, some of the things that we've heard, like you, you know, you've ruined my life or, you know, the divorce is your fault or the blame, lots of blame, lots of blame. And, um, you know, and I also, again, like having new eyes as, as an adult, um, I remember when my mother, uh, had to find a job after my parents divorced. Now, I think she, I think she worked as a secretary before I was born and then she stopped working to raise me. And so she had a significant, you know, number of years, a gap on her resume. And so I do remember her, you know, coming home from interviews and telling me um, people questioning, you know, well, why haven't you worked for nine years? And her saying, well, I was raising my daughter and that being um, frowned upon, being dismissed, um, you know, she eventually, you know, did find work, but, you know, I can look back on that being, you know, the early 1980s and how, how hard that must have been for her as well. Um, that, that challenge of being out of the workforce so long and then, you know, not really being, um, embraced coming back and just, you know, sexism and misogyny. Yeah. 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 Did you find yourself you could have a conversation with her when you got to maybe a teenager to talk as mother and daughter? No, in fact, um, things became more, I I would think, I would say more inflammatory when I was a teenager because that's when I started having a bit more independence, um, some of my own thoughts, some realizations that the way she was treating me was not... Um, was not acceptable. It was wrong. I could see from my friends and schoolmates that they didn't have relationships like that with their parents. 
And, um, you know, there was also a lot of, um, my mother also, you know, I think she struggled with an undiagnosed eating disorder and she passed on a lot of, uh, body shaming and fat shaming to me and put, you know, at eight years old, put me on a diet. And that's something that really stuck with me for decades that I am just now, you know, beginning to unravel. Right. Right. Did you have a sense uh, of the household you grew up in having the only child that this was normal until you saw other things outside your family? You know, it it kind of varied. I remember having, I loved my first grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Burnt. I still remember her. She was so. Let me say, I think we all remember our first grade teacher. Mine was Mrs. Lee. You know, it's like we remember our first grade teacher. Uh Yeah. Okay. And I still remember, my sixth grade teacher was a Mrs. Lee. So, (laughs) and she was fabulous too. Um, But I remember she was so kind and lovely and had such a wonderful demeanor and was so patient. Me, I really struck like I really struggled to learn how to read. Um, I don't know if there was an undiagnosed learning, you know, disability for me, but I really struggled. But she was still so kind and patient, and I felt like she believed in me. So I would have those moments where I would look, you know, be in class and I would look at her and I would think, I bet Mrs. Burnt doesn't yell at her kids. Wow. Like I bet, you know, I knew she was a mom. I knew she was a mommy, okay. but, um, you know, I bet she doesn't yell at them. I bet she doesn't hit her kids. And then I would go, you know, so I'd have these brief blips of mm-hmm. clarity or, or a greater self-awareness. Right. And then it would, and then just the negative self-talk would seep back in, mm-hmm. you know, that I would hear from my mother. Mm-hmm. Did you have any friends? And while you were a teenager, how did you develop friendships, or was that easy for you? Oh, elementary school was so rough for me. I was teased a lot. I was bullied. Um, I was very, very shy, very anxious. But, you know, and I also had the mother that didn't allow anybody over to our home um, because she, it was very much, um, you know, how, how do things look to the outside world? So the outside world, you know, she was very, she was very physically beautiful, dressed very well. Um, Our home was immaculate for a time being. But um, if you really, you know, saw behind the doors, it was just dysfunctional chaos. And so I didn't, yeah, I was probably, people probably thought I was a weird kid. So, you know, yeah, Yeah. and I, you know, I read a lot. I loved books and I loved, loved music. And, um, it wasn't until, uh, in eighth grade we moved. So my, you know, because of the divorce had to sell the family home and, uh, we moved and I had to change school districts. And that was probably one of the best things for me because, I had um, started getting a little bit more outgoing. Um, I learned how to, I, you know, use a little bit of makeup. So I think okay. I was probably feeling a little bit better about myself. Um, and then I met um, this my wonderful friend, Kelly. We're still friends to this day. Okay. But she was one of the first people that I met at my new school. And then from there, um, began to develop more friendships and 
be be a little bit more outgoing, um, have a little bit more fun, even though there was, you know, again, chaos at right. home, yeah. um, you know, took as many opportunities as I, I could to be out of my home, to be away. So what was your best thing you liked about school? school? I, I really enjoyed, I had for the most part, some really wonderful English teachers up until 12th grade. Um, they were fantastic. I had, you know, some good hit. I really excelled. They did really well in English and history. Math was a struggle for me. Um, had a lot of sexist math teachers, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize back then. That was, you know, part of the issue. Um, I was, believe it or not, I was a cheerleader. for a couple of years and i had a lot of fun with that you stepped out of you stepped out for a cheerleader now that i did yeah yeah congratulations (laughs) for that thank you yeah Yeah, i really liked um i really liked the performance aspect of it so so you know i like dancing and cheering um i still didn't quite fit in with um you know you say cheerleader i'm sure people have you know their stereotypes but i didn't hang you know I didn't hang around with the football players or um not what you know not with all the other cheer I had some other fellow cheerleaders that were friends but not you know all of them and still had um you know my other friends that weren't you know involved in school activities like that but um that made uh, a couple of years of high school fun okay good 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 so move on into when did you have a boyfriend or start a relationship and all of that to you having uh, your child? Sure. So I, you know, I grew up, you know, and I think there's still the messaging today, but, you know, especially growing up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, for a lot of um, girls and young women, you're, you know, if you don't have a boyfriend, if you're not loved by a boy, you're nothing. You have no meaning. And so I didn't have a lot of love at home. So I really wanted to um, find that love from someone else. I, you know, always, because of my mother and her disordered eating, her focus on, uh, you know, appearances. And, you know, she would often tell me, you know, I'm, she would say about herself, I'm beautiful, you're ugly. So I was also constantly hearing messages that, you're ugly, you're ugly, you're ugly. May, so for may me, I ask you this? Sure. did she hear those same messages when she was growing up? You know, I, I'm not sure, um, not to, and I could probably talk about this for hours, but she, um, you know, going back to what I mentioned, sort of, you know, I didn't, wasn't allowed to have other kids over at home. She also um, isolated herself and me from her family. Um, as well as, you know, because when my father divorced, my father and mother divorced, he mar- he remarried fairly quickly. Um, that person had three children and he I, pretty much for the rest of his life focused parenting those children. So I didn't have a, for most of my life, I didn't have a relationship with my father um, and also didn't know my mother's side of the family. So she, I would hear stories from her about her childhood where, you know, mirrored a lot of how she treated me. Mm. 
um, when I was in my early 30s, I had the opportunity to meet uh, one of her siblings who was close in age to her. And they had, they had a different recollection that she was the last child, last child of six, and that she was adored and, in his words, spoiled. Okay. Because the other siblings had grown up, uh, were significantly older and grew up during okay. the Depression. Right. So I have, and I still don't, I still have so many miss, missing pieces of my, my family history. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, to answer that question, I'm not sure. I'm and not I, sure what she heard. And I ask that question because a lot of times that generational dysfunction will move from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Because I'll say this is that people will, will, will share or treat others as they have been treated. So as if they don't know any other way. So unless they're shown another way, well, they they will do what they know to do. And mm-hmm. so when you said that comment about she would say, I am pretty or beautiful and you're ugly. Ah, that came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. That came mm-hmm. from somewhere. Yeah. And that, that generational trauma, that will tie in a bit to, to, my, to my birth mother um, story. Okay. Uh, you know, so with that, so you know, looking, looking for love, yeah. <laughs> looking for love from all yeah. the wrong boys yeah. <laughs> and also didn't have any, um, you know, I didn't have any, mir- you know, mirroring of what a functional, loving, caring relationship was like. Okay. So I was just often getting involved with guys that were, you know, emotionally or physically abusive and thinking, oh, well, this is the norm. This is how, this is how I deserve to be treated. Uh, so it wasn't out of line or you didn't see it at being out of line. No, I'm not supposed to be treated this way. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. And so I moved out. Um, I always, even as a child, I always knew I didn't want to remain in the city where I grew up. Okay. And so when I was, I think it was 19, I, I left my mother's home and I moved in with a boyfriend and we were, I was with him for Oh, I think about eight years. Mm. Um, he was a few years older than me. We shouldn't have been in a relationship that long. Um, there was some physical abuse, a lot of emotional abuse. Um, you know, when I look back on my end, you know, there were things that um, times where I wasn't very kind or times where, you know, I probably instigated some of the situations um that still doesn't give that person right. the right to how Absolutely. he treated me yeah. um but that you know again a lot of chaos a lot of trauma um even when we were breaking up that i often tell people i said it was like an episode of, of jerry springer do you remember that talk show that yeah. <laughs> Was it that, throwing up chairs? You know, it, chairs were, <laughs> no chairs were thrown, but okay. it was just when it's one of those things I look back on my life and it's like, oh, I'm so I'm so embarrassed. And even for that, <laughs> even for that person that I was with, like okay. he he didn't deserve that, okay. you know, how that okay. happened. But that's that's another story. Okay. Um, but but going back to where I thought, oh, I always need I need the love. I need the love. I need to be validated mm-hmm. by by having a boyfriend so before I ended that eight-year relationship, I started dating someone else mm. at that time. So that, that was not, you know, that was wrong for me to do. And 
that person, I thought, oh, I've met the love of my life and broke up with the fellow I had been with for eight years, um, was then exclusively dating this new fella. Then we got the idea that we should move in together. And not only should we move in together, we should move to a new city. Okay. And what age were you then? Right. So I was 25. Okay. And I had been, I had been in and out of community college. Um, you know, I would sign, sign up for classes and I would drop out or, um, you know, I'd sign up for one quarter. I would take, you know, a class or two and, you know, do fairly well, but then maybe, you know, not go back the next quarter. And I was working, I worked in restaurants for a long time. I was a food server. I um, did a little bit of, of management. I probably wasn't very good at it back then, but that's what I did for a long time. Okay. So I had been working at this restaurant for five or six years, had um, just some really fabulous people that worked there, had some great friendships. And, um, you know, during that time, I was also without a home <laughs> because the ex-boyfriend and I had to leave our home. So I was also sort of just couch surfing. I had some friends that would let me, you know, stay with them for a few weeks or a few months. Um, so that probably, you know, fueled the energy to go away, <laughs> move away with this new boyfriend. Um, so we um, decided to do that and found an apartment in a city about still in California, but about probably about 100, 200 miles away from everybody. And how was this? I, you know, how do you decide? This um, city? It had been some place that he he lived there for a bit. Okay. Um, and it's a beautiful area, you know, lots of recreation. Um, you know, one, some of the great things about California is you can be very close to the beach. You be, can be close to the mountains, not too far from the desert. Um, and we had gone to this place a few times. So it was very romanticized. You know, I thought, oh, this is where we'll start our new life together and we'll get married and everything will be perfect. Um, there was so many hindsight, you know, so many red flags along the way. Even, even, even some friends going, why do you like him? <laughs> <laughs> why uh, we really don't think he's good for you but okay yeah. were you if you're gonna to, go were you able to give him <laughs> an answer of why yeah i would kind of fumble through okay. and i think you know they were right but i think also part of me was like oh folks just don't want me to be happy or they don't know the real him um and so we moved away and um i got a job fairly Fairly quickly, it was in some little souvenir tchotchke shop in this very high tourist area. Um, and I think I had only been working there may maybe two weeks. And we're still very new, just in this new city for a couple of weeks. And he, my boyfriend was, but we only had one car and he was supposed to pick me up from work. And he showed up very drunk. Mm -hmm. And I, and I knew he was a drinker. And I was so embarrassed and also worried that, you know, I was going to get fired from this new job. And not to mention how 
terrifying that he drove so drunk, mm. you know. So when we um, got back home, he, he, I remember he passed out in bed and I was, I was enraged at that point because, you know, he embarrassed me. He could have hurt somebody driving, could have, you know, damaged my car, all the things. So I remember I had put, um, I had started making a grilled cheese. It, it's so interesting how these little things that you know, stick in our memories. The details, yeah. Right. And so I put that on the stove and then, you know, we had just moved. So we're still settling in. There's still some boxes and things. And I remember I had some clothes and I was so upset that I started just throw, like throwing clothes on top of him. And he's on the bed, passed out. And that was, I, you know, not the most healthy, not the most functional, but just being so like, didn't know how to, well, one, I could, there's no reasoning with someone when he, they're that drunk, he's passed out. Um, but me also not having the language, the words to say, here's why this was so upsetting to me and it can't happen again. So throwing clothes on him, I go, um, in the kitchen to check on my sandwich and all of a sudden he grabs me and he is, um, so angry and is just screaming at me. And then the things that you're saying are like, you're, you know, you're nothing without me. You know, we moved here. We couldn't move here unless it was me and just on and on and on and shaking me. At a one point, he put his hands around my neck and I blacked out and I came to, I ran to the bathroom and locked myself in the bathroom at this point, my sandwich, remember that girl cheese? Yeah. That's now, that's now burning. The smoke alarms are going off. Um, I still, I still don't to this day. We lived in a small apartment complex and sort of a quiet area. I still don't know. Did anybody hear any of my neighbors? You know, did, I don't know. I don't know how they could not have heard. Was that your question? Did they hear what was going on with the, just the, 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 that fight, the yelling, the screaming, okay. and then adding to that, the smoke alarm going right. off. Right. Um, and so, so I remember, so was you know, that, being, was that a concern that they would have heard all this stuff going on? Or was it, why didn't they come to help you? It's, I think it, at the time, I think it was a mix of both, okay. you know, it's why isn't anybody coming to just okay. check, Okay. but also that, and that shame and that embarrassment, like, right. Oh no, like, right people are going to think, quote unquote, like I'm crazy or, you know, we're, um, you know, we're, we're trouble. And did, did part of you go back to your child? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I remember, you know, sitting, sitting on the bathroom floor, shaking and crying and thinking, Oh, Oh no, what have I gotten myself into? What have I done? And then more shame. I can't go back home. My Everybody will say, I told you so. Oh, my God, people were right. I shouldn't have moved here with him. I shouldn't be with him. And, um, yeah, I carried a lot of, sh- I've, I've been someone who's had, you know, carried a lot of shame and a lot of secrets, you know, starting from a very young age. And um, just feeling really 
really scared, really dejected, and not knowing what my next step was going to be. So during this time, you know, as he's, and he's also struggling to find work, um, I wouldn't find out till, you know, a few months later, years later, he, um, he lied quite a bit. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm not going to give him, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I'm not going to try and diagnose him, but um, he, he is a person that had tremendous issues. Okay. And um, so during this time, I'm just trying to um, be a good girlfriend and not upset him. And, you know, I'm working a really, you know, a low, low paying job. I'm not having any success, you know, finding something that's a bit more stable. He's, he's struggling to find work. Um, we're then struggling to pay rent, sometimes struggling to find money for food. And, and during this time, so the months are passing, I am not having my period. Mm. And I tell myself, that, oh, it's stress. I'm anxious. I've always been an anxious person. Okay. It's just the stress. Okay. And then I start having really what would be really horrible morning sickness any time of day, not just okay. the mornings. Right. Still telling myself I'm stressed. Oh, it's anxiety. And it took me... It took me a while. It took me a few months before I actually went and took a pregnancy test because I thought, oh, I, oh, there's no way I can be pregnant, even though we're not using any birth control. Um, <laughs> Was that the, the denial in your life going on? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I grew up, I grew up in a family, a lot of people uh, steeped in denial <laughs> in my family. <laughs> it's still something I have to be uh, really, you know, conscious that I, I don't. I don't yeah. go that path, you know, right. even now, yeah. um, you know, he was, you know, not necessarily very supportive or didn't make it easy for me to access birth control. Um, but I thought, oh, it'll be fine. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to upset him. Everything's everything will be OK. Everything was not OK. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when I, you know, finally received the positive pregnancy test, I initially wanted to have an abortion. Um, when I looked at, so when I looked at everything, the abuse, you know, his alcoholism, um, lack of, you know, struggling to pay rent, struggling to, to have food, my family history, you know, because I you know, was certain, you know, I kept seeing these cycles of abuse and was certain that I would be, I was terrified I'd be like my mother. Um, Where were you? You want to talk, you felt as if you would be the same type of mother? I was terrified of that. Mm -hmm. I was terrified that I would in some way, you know, harm my child, whether, you know, mentally or emotionally I didn't think I would you know hit a child be you know do that but just the you know mentally and emotionally and then also hating you know I hated myself you know that was another piece of it um that I didn't think I was necessarily capable of 
of anything really you know of any any of any you know goodness i asked that question because you talked about how you realized the effect it had on you on how you were treated and i think Mm -hmm. well just just presupposing on whether that would make a difference then well i'm going to be a different right right um i didn't I, i think i went to that place of just being terrified I would be like her. And, you know, one of the greatest, and, you know, some, some of these guys I dated, one of the greatest insults that they would hurl at me sometimes was, you're just like your mother. Even my, my father would say that to me, too. You're just like your mother. That is not what I wanted to hear. You know? That's assuming, they, they, did, that's assuming they knew your mother. They did know your right. mother. Right. Okay. <laughs> they, well, yeah, they had, yeah, they had met okay. her. Okay. Um, you know, I, Aside from her, she had great fashion sense, you know, okay. <laughs> if, I pick, if I pick that up from her, you know, that okay. I'll, I'll take that. But, okay. but I did not want to be like her in any way. And, you know, so uh, the, the boyfriend or, you know, my child's birth father, um, he kept telling me, okay, we'll get, I'll get the money. I'll get the money so you can have an abortion. Okay. And seeming like this was also, um, something he agreed with, but the weeks are passing and they're passing and I'm getting the same, Oh, sure. Sure. I'll get that for you. And then finally, um, I, d- I can't recall how I found out, but I learned that you could apply in California. You could apply for medical and medical medical would cover the cost of an abortion. <sighs> so I needed to get another, you know, positive pregnancy test and start uh, the, you know, the steps to get medical so I could, have an abortion. And when I went to, um, I worked, so this is kind of where my journey, well, my journey with Planned Parenthood started before, but that was the next step in my um, relationship with Planned Parenthood. I, I went there. I was too far along in my pregnancy. Um, and I remember bursting into tears. I was terrified and said, I, I, I'm going to have to, I can't, I can't do this. I'm going to have to place the baby for adoption. And I remember um, one of the employees, you know, pulling me aside into an office. And I remember she was so kind and judgment-free and, you know, said, okay, well, let's, let's talk, you know, is this really, are you sure, are you sure you can't parent? You know, let's talk, but do you have a support system? I said, no, I don't have, I don't have anyone. I don't have anything here, you know, listed out all the, the struggles we were having. And, you know, and that kind of, you know, was the end of that conversation. But um, I still just remember her being so, so sensitive and kind. And um, that really stuck with me. You know, I remember that, that, that genuine kindness and, um, concern. And, and, and so, just, and Angie, you, you mentioned for her pulling your side and simply talking to you that mm-hmm. seemingly is a small thing, but that was a big thing. It was a, it was so huge. Yeah. And I would, I mean, I wish yeah. I don't remember the person's name. Yeah. You know, I do remember the, lo- the location, the yeah. city, but I don't remember her name at all. But, yeah. um, and yeah, I, I bring that up because we talk about here, talk about that here on birth Mobile talk, the reality when someone is facing, be it unplanned, or what do you want to call pregnancy, or what to do, when they're talking to someone, they need someone to hear them. 
listen Absolutely. to them as a person, not a number while you in or no eye contact. Mm-hmm. I, I say no eye contact because I've had some. So, but it's like, uh, yes, talk to me. What is mm-hmm. going on? What can you do? Yeah, right. that was great. Right. That was great. Yeah, I I will never forget forget. Yeah. I can't remember her in my name, but yeah. her name, but I'll never forget her. Yeah. Um, and so I went home and, you know, told my boyfriend what was happening. And I said, I think, you know, we're not capable of raising this child. And I think we should place the baby for adoption. And he said, okay. And I don't recall him giving really any pushback. And um, this was back in the day I didn't have access to internet. This was still the early days of the internet, but I remember yeah. pulling out the yellow pages. And for anyone who doesn't know what the yellow pages are, it's a big, it's a big paper book well, <laughs> with let's, all, let's the, just, phone, let's right, all the phone, phone, phone numbers. Phone <laughs> right. Then there was a separate yellow pages for the white pages and the white, yellow pages. pages. Yeah. So we're teaching uh, people who are younger than yes. uh, forty. <laughs> all the, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the millennials, the the, the Zers, yeah. all of them. Yeah. But yeah. um just and I remember like and I have nothing I was so uneducated and so ignorant about adoption. I had known, you know, here or there maybe have met a couple people that said they were um adoptees, mm-hmm. never had deep conversations with them. Right. What I saw in the media you know, which the media does a hor- horrible portrayal of, right. uh, in general, of birth, birth mothers and adoption. And so I went into this just really ignorant. Um, I found an attorney um, in the same city and I didn't, I didn't, you know, hindsight, again, hindsight, I didn't, I didn't look up other attorneys or speak with other attorneys. I just went with the first one. Um, which I don't recommend. And so it was an independent adoption and I met with the attorney and he gave me several, um, you know, I suppose now things are online for people, for prospective adoptive parents, but he gave me binders, binders of people and started looking, you know, reading about all these couples, you know, looking to adopt and, landed on a couple that I liked their profile and agreed to meet with them. And those subsequently became the um, people that adopted my daughter. And so was it an open or closed adoption? Well, here, you know, going back to being uneducated, I, I at the time said, I, I don't think I want visits. I thought, I thought that would be too confusing to the child. Because this is what I, w- I saw on television or read in articles. Um, I know now that that wouldn't be the case. So um, I also thought, oh, and I hear this from a lot of birth mothers too, that they don't want to, quote unquote, bother. I don't want to bother the adoptive parents. So I also had that, because keep in mind too, I, I think my self-esteem is just in the gutter. So I'm thinking, oh, you know, oh, gosh, they don't want to hear from me because I'm a bad person. So I said, uh, I want photos and letters two times a year. Big mistake. Definitely not enough. And and no visits. And that they agreed to that. And 
Um, again, that is not what I would have done. So, um, so how has it been? Did you get the, um, the pictures twice a year? You know, I, I, I really struggled in the, you know, another part of the story, this, you know, isn't unusual. I really struggled when I came home from the hospital without my baby, without my daughter. Empty arm syndrome mm-hmm. is a syndrome for birth mothers. Is right. Leaving the hospital with empty arms. Yep. And n- no one, I, I had, I did not have anyone advocating for me. I did not have my own representation. You know, we use the same attorney because in California, dual representation is still allowed. Um, I do not recommend that. Everybody, and you know, in any legal transaction, yep. people need to have their own advocates, their own representation. Absolutely. Yes. And no one prepared me that, you know, you hear, and it still, it still even happens today. If you look at... Um, Various websites or literature, often of um, adoption agencies, adoption attorneys, crisis pregnancy centers. It's very vague information. Mm-hmm. And I don't, this is my, my opinion, I don't right. believe it allows the pregnant person to be fully informed. Absolutely. So I never, I never saw anything, you know, you would see something like you'll be sad, you know, you'll be sad for a little bit. But you'll knowing that your child is say you know safe. I didn't know my child was safe, <laughs> you know. But knowing your child is safe and happy, um, you'll be fine. You'll move on. Yeah, you'll move and on. You'll move. You'll on. move on. That's it. You'll yeah. move on. You'll move on. Yeah. And so when I got home from the hospital, and I think I was just, you know, when you labor you're in a lot of pain you know it's quite painful even with even even with medication it's quite painful bringing, and so i you're bringing life into the right world. it's this tremendous force yes. and yes. then you're not and you know for me um i was fortunate i didn't have pain you know I, oh. I, after i didn't have long-lasting pain after delivery or physical pain i should say you know just probably you know, nothing that I needed to stay in the hospital or have, you know, additional medication to help, you know, manage that pain. But then, so I think I still had sort of maybe the endorphins of like, oh, you know, I'm no longer in physical pain. Mm -hmm. And so I remember, you know, I stayed overnight in the hospital. I think I was probably discharged late afternoon the next day. Um, By then my, my daughter was, you know, with the prospective adoptive parents. And I remember coming home and yeah, just, you know, the wave of grief hitting me and postpartum depression. I was already someone who had, I had undiagnosed depression and anxiety. You know, I've, I've said a few times here, like it was just a very anxious child and and young adult. Um, And I was completely devastated and I don't even know if devastated covers it. You know, I was sobbing. Um, I couldn't get off the couch. Were you back with the boyfriend? And we were still together. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, I never said it out loud to anybody, but I remember thinking, I want, I want to die. And I, I didn't have a plan. I didn't necessarily think I was going to, 
try to end my life. But I remember, uh, you know, sort of praying to, you know, a, a higher power to please, please just, I don't want to wake up. Please just let me die. The pain was so hard. It was immense. And I still, you know, and I'll share this. Um, I remember the, you know, the second day in the hospital, um, the last time that I had, I held my, my daughter when she was an infant in my arms, I remember handing her over to the, um, adoptive mother and watching the adoptive mom walk out of the hospital room with my daughter. So you experienced passing to the yes. child? Mm-hmm. Wow. That was hard. It is etched in my brain and I have never forgotten that I had for many months nightmares just reoccurring dreams of that image and even to this day so my child is now 24 even to this day when I'm I'm under if I'm under uh, tremendous stress or having you know an anxious period in my life um I will, I will still have those dreams. Mm-hmm. I won't have them for many, many months or years. And then when I'm in, in times of stress, like just one evening, you know, there's that image that pops up in my dream. So are you in a union with your child? How does it transpire after you had her? She was with her adopted parents. Mm-hmm. So walk me on that journey since then. Sure. So I uh, received... You continue to receive uh, twice a year letters and photos. Um, I didn't have any visits, unfortunately. Um, The first year, they did send photos every month. I ended up requesting that because I wanted, you know, babies change so, so quickly. And I wanted to see her development, you know, at least over that first year. Um, And then when... My daughter was 12. Um, her adoptive father reached out to me, sent me a message, and shared that they were planning her bat mitzvah. And they were creating some, some type of video photo montage, you know, to play for, for the party. And he said, would you be interested in a copy? And I said, wrote back, of course, yes, would love, you know, yeah. absolutely would love to have that. And, and this was back when... Um, you would receive a CD, a disc. Right. <laughs> no more CD players. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember he mailed one and it wouldn't play in my computer, okay. you know. And then I had to, and I even felt like I remember being embarrassed. Like, so again, like, you know, still these feelings, these issues with, you know, self-esteem and feeling like I'm a bother and I'm a burden. And I remember being so embarrassed going back and asking, you know, gosh, I don't, I'm not sure what's wrong that the disc isn't working and he said i'll send another one he sent a second one and that one didn't work <laughs> so I, ever, I still did t- you ever see it i saw a tiny <laughs> uh, there was like a little tiny blip that played and okay. i remember it was of my daughter and one of her friends okay. and and i'm just like hearing 
like two seconds of her voice oh, wow. was just so incredible though. But now seeing this, like this tween yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. going from where I had just all these like, st- you know, still photos of yeah. her development to yeah. like, like, Oh, here's this fully formed person, right? you know, who's, yeah. um, you know, about to venture into this new part of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, so about a year I'd say about a year or so later, her adoptive father reached out to me again and said, um, I'm going to be in California. My daughter was born in California, but was most of her childhood, she lived in another state. Okay. Um, so her adoptive father reached out and said, I'm going to be in California for some business and actually um, and visiting some other people throughout the state and indicated that my daughter wanted to meet me. If I was open to that, <laughs> and so I said, of course, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she was about 14, 14 and a half at that time. And that was just so, I, I probably, I don't have all the words for it, but it was just so wonderful and beautiful. And I also remember, and her and I will laugh about this now, but I remember being so anxious. So the the plan was to first I would meet with her and her adoptive father over lunch. And then later in the evening, we'd all meet up with my husband. And I remember driving to the restaurant and telling, calling my husband and saying, I, I'm so scared. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. (laughs) And he, you know, he's just always been so loving and supportive. And, um, so you I know it's scary, but you're going to be fine. And, this is really, uh, you know, really exciting. And it turns out my, my daughter had shared with me that she was also going through the, oh, no, I'm going to throw up <laughs> the same type of anxiety. So now, uh, you know, we can kind of laugh that we we're both sort of ha- having these moments of, you know, oh, we're going to vomit. Yeah. <laughs> experience. With, with, um, my, with my son and I, it was like uh, we're meeting in a different place sort of midway between us. And, and I think we were met. It was like, I haven't slept in three days. He said, I haven't either. You know, it's oh, like, yeah. we, right, you know, we right. have that. Now, I'm, I'm not hearing adoptive moms. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's good, good listening. Um, so I haven't had much contact with her at all over all these years. I've, I have seen her one time. I had the, op- my husband and I had the opportunity um, a few years ago to go to the state where they lived um, for a long weekend. And at that time, uh, the adoptive parents had divorced and I saw the adoptive mom, uh, during that visit. And that was several years ago and have not had communication with her since then. And, uh, she lives in a a different area, um, than my, my daughter. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was a lot of mostly, most of my communication has been with her adoptive father. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember, uh, you know, one, one of the first things she asked was, um, to know a little bit of information about her birth father. And I really, you know, I went back to that place of, and then he, I guess here, here's something where, I was different than my mother. So I remember in those few seconds when she said, oh, what can you tell me about, you know, 
my my birth father mm-hmm. and i had my horrific experiences with him and i also remembered how my mother would say really horrible things about my father and then turn around and say and you're just like him so in that moment i said well here's what i remember okay. he was a wonderful swimmer he was a really great okay. swimmer I can't, I'm a horrible swimmer. I can't swim well, but I see that you, you like to swim. You're a good swimmer. I I saw that in letters and photos. So that, oh, that's probably where you get it from. And, you know, I said, he really, he really loved his family a lot. He had a big family and was really, um, really dedicated to them. And I said, he could be really fun and silly, you know, um, and that's, I, 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 I thank you for doing that because, as I say, we, we all have components of, of up, down, sideways, or whatever. But something we have, we have a lot more good than bad. I think everyone, this is my opinion, I think everyone comes <laughs> to, this, to this earth with bringing good things and really putting that in perspective of as you just you turned into swimming. That was awesome. To let mm-hmm. her know that's maybe where you got that from. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I will say, you know, it's a whole, you know, the birth father and I broke up about probably about nine, 10 months after she was born and had, I think, made this really half-hearted attempt to reunite, um, you know, a few months after that. But that, that in itself is a whole other story. That was a just continued chaos, trauma, abuse, um, I will say I can look back, um, and I haven't had contact with him okay. since I think 1999. Okay. And a month a, a month before our daughter was born, his father died. And again, he he was very close with his his family. He adored his father. Um, so when I'm far away now, many years after the situation, I can. I can look back and think about what was, I have no idea like what his grief was like, his grief process to lose his father, a really sudden death. And then a month later, you know, his first child is born and he's not parenting that first child. So I, you know, I, I have no idea like what that was like for him. Trauma on both sides. Right. So, right. so how is the relationship or reunion with your daughter now? It's it's going well. It's going well. Um, she is now. Uh, she recently graduated from college, okay. and she uh, was in living. She went to school in California, only maybe a couple hours away from me. So, okay. it was really uh, just really wonderful to you know every four or six weeks or so you know be able to visit with her. Yes. Or, yeah, she'd come up and visit, um, you know, visit my husband and I in our city. And um, she moved to a different state. And um, so I was really disappointed that she didn't stay in California. But I'm hoping she'll she'll come back someday. Um, but she's having a new adventure in a new city. And uh, my husband and I had the opportunity to visit her for a couple of days um, last month. And, you know, it's really, um, you know, I I really have, you know, I have moments of sadness that 
I have moments of sadness that I didn't parent her. Mm-hmm. Um, I have moments of sadness that I didn't have visits, you know, growing up that I didn't get to see her growing up um, as, you know, a child and a teenager or an early teenager. Um, but it's been really, it's been really cool seeing her grow into a young adult, Yeah, you know, even yeah. seeing seeing her her growth and her maturity um from the time she started college to where she is now and seeing her become her her own person with her own ideas and um and that that's been really cool you're getting to your your child as an adult yes yeah adult. did you have any other children i did not okay Mm-mm. same here so that. yeah yeah, I went through, um, you know, I went through a stage where I thought I didn't, you know, I didn't want children. Well, I went, you know, very, I will say, I'll back that up. I will say, like, shortly after I had her, my daughter, I thought, oh, do I want another baby? And, you know, do it, but then thought, no, that, that's not the route to go for me. Okay. You know, and, um, and I mean it like several, like a few months after oh, she okay. was born, oh, okay. which I think, I think a lot of birth moms, yeah. you know, have that feeling. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is wise that I, I did not. Okay. And then for a long time thought I didn't want to have children. And that was something my husband and I had agreed on. And then shortly after we got married, both of us thought, oh, well, maybe we do. <laughs> we do want to have a baby. And then... You know, it just it just wasn't in the cards for us. Okay. Um, okay. So, but but that's okay. Yeah. Well, Angie, you've shared your journey, and what a journey that we all have with that. Yeah. Thank but you. As, but as we know here on uh, Birth Laws Real Talk, we have a hot topic. So, <laughs> and which really we put a word out there, a phrase, and we talk about it realistically. The real talk here. What's your word for the day, Angie? Anger. Anger. <laughs> woo, woo. <laughs> now that can just go ring around the roses and world and every mm-hmm. kind of different perspective of it. But let's hear what is anger? What does that word do for you? Oh, just talk about anger. Well, I think for a lot of women, girls and women, we're told not to be angry. Um, we're told that being angry is ugly or it makes others feel uncomfortable or, you know, or we're told to suppress our anger or that, you know, we're, again, I'll say that, that word that I do not like crazy, mm-hmm. that we're crazy if we're angry. Right. And I see that as a way of just silencing people in particular, in particular women and girls and, yeah. And definitely, you know, members of the BIPOC community, mm-hmm. and it's invalidating. And what I've often said when I've talked to um, not just birth moms, but other people, you know, if you're angry, it's usually because there's been some sort of injustice mm-hmm. that's occurred. Absolutely. Absolutely. Does it make you angry when you're being told not to be angry? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 100%. Talk about that. that. Right. <laughs> that, well, that to me is really just, again, a way to silence yeah. or um, control, to, you know, control me or someone else. Uh-huh. 
Um, you know, I've heard, I've been called the angry birth mom okay. before. Um, I've heard other birth moms called that. I've heard adoptees called angry. Angry adoptees. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But again, yeah. it goes back to if someone, if there's an injustice, if there's a systemic issue mm-hmm. that is causing, har- you know, harm to people, is not allowing them to lead their most fulfilled lives mm-hmm. to lead healthy happy lives mm-hmm. like yeah that's an issue that's something to be angry about yeah. Yeah. and you know for me you know part of how um i found my way to you know how i found my way to eventually becoming an you know i worked for planned parenthood for okay. 13 years okay. before um i stepped into this new role um a few months ago and so Again, it's, it's, you know, where there's spaces where people, um, you know, are not having, you know, proper factual information mm-hmm. um, or given the ability to make decisions for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, when people have that taken away, that's very upsetting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I saw as I connected with Empower Alliance many years ago um, that was first attending one of their, their, uh, one of our uh, therapeutic retreats. And at that time, I, you know, before then I had never met another, to my knowledge, another birth mother. And so I remember attending my first couple of retreats. And I think it was during the second retreat where there was a young woman who had placed her, uh, infant, maybe a few, a few months prior. Mm-hmm. So still very, very, very new, very raw, grieving. Um, I remember her curled up on the floor, sobbing and saying, I don't understand why I'm still sad. I was told it would get better. Why, why am I so sad? Why am I depressed? Yeah. And I remember this birth mom was maybe just a couple years older than my daughter. And I thought, you know, and we, and we didn't, you know, I know we have limited time, but there's yeah, so much yeah, more I'd have yeah. to say about the adoption process yeah. um, that I went through yeah. and seeing this young woman and thinking, Oh, you know, like this is wrong that this young person during this time was yeah. told the same lies I was told yeah. who was right. not given adequate information and the same like going back for decades you know you think of you know the women from the baby scoop era like the same thing you'll move on you'll be fine and no this is a lifelong they were lies they were lies they were lies lies. right and so when someone lies to you or withhold purposely withholds information omission there is a right there's yes. a right, absolute right to be right. angry about that. Mm-hmm. Justified yeah. anger. Just, Just, oh. Justified anger. And the thing of it, as we say, it may it makes me, that's why I ask you, do you get angry and people tell you not to get angry? And I will turn my head. What do you think? I mean, really? <laughs> what do you expect me to do? What do you expect right? me to do? Yeah. So talk more yeah. about Empower Alliance when we wind up here and what services sure. you offer, as well sure. as what things are you putting into place to really... Uh, Fight against it as best as you can. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we 
So the organization um, was founded in 2007. And, you know, I'm happy to say that uh, I am the first birth mother to be in the executive director role. So that's good, very, it's very good, exciting. Good move. Thank when you. I heard you were appointed. I said, <laughs> Thank good you. Move by the board. Thank good you. Move. <laughs> it's, um, it's an honor uh, that I do not take lightly. And right now, our board of directors is 50% birth moms and we'll be um, electing some new members very soon. So we're actually anticipating that number of birth moms on the board to go up a little bit more. So um, we have, uh, you know, great representation of, mm -hmm. of our clients on the board. Okay. And we offer um, a handful of services. So we have, I had mentioned our therapeutic retreats. Mm -hmm. um, so these are week on re uh, retreats for birth moms at no, no charge to them. Um, where they are in a space with uh, other uh, women who have placed or lost a child to adoption. Um, again, acknowledging, like you had mentioned, that everybody's experience is uniquely their own. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a space for them to attend um, educational and therapeutic workshops, um, topics related to, you know, um, mental wellness, adoption, right. but also looking at the birth mother as a whole person. Yeah. So there's also opportunities for different type of, of movement and, and art and having, you know, smaller groups where you're talking about different topics that may or may not intersect with adoption. Right. And it, they're really, really transformative, you know, right. for, for myself and for many others, that's often the first time they're meeting another birth mom. Uh, yeah. For some, that may be the first time they've shared their child's name mm -hmm. with other people. Mm -hmm. That may be the only time a year that they feel they can openly talk about their child or children. Right. Right. And that's so that that is so huge. Yeah. And it's also heartbreaking that yeah. for some they feel like only, you know, this one time a year that I, yeah. I can, when I can go to this retreat, that that's where I have that space yeah. to do so. Um, unfortunately, with COVID, you know, and you heard this from so many, um, everything has been moved to the virtual platform. Mm -hmm. And we're really hoping, crossing our fingers, that in the fall, you know, infection rates will yeah. be lower. We won't keep having all these different variants and yeah, that we can hold, yeah. you know, an in-person retreat again. So at this time we're offering, um, you know, retreats and virtual gatherings and check-ins for, for birth moms. Um, we also have um, for some clients to be, uh, to be eligible for our academic and counseling grants. Um, birth moms do need to be living in California or have placed their child or children in California or were pregnant, um, living in California while they're pregnant. Um, but we offer, um, academic grants and vocational grants or for folks who are, um, going back to school, continuing their education, um, maybe going through a certification process or vocational school. We have, um, some monies available, um, to help them with their school expenses. Um, or if someone's, you know, working on getting their GED, we can, you know, okay. provide some funds for that. Okay. Um, as well as if someone needs, you know, someone gets a new 
a new job and maybe it's a job where they're required to buy certain items of clothing right. for the uniform. Like we right. can help with that because I know I've been in that position. You know, yeah. I said I worked in restaurants for a long time where, you know, you got the job, but now I need to buy yeah, these pants and I shoes see. that I don't have money for. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and what, I'm, what I'm hearing and know that Empower Alliance offers that support and that's what's needed on mm-hmm. all different facets, all different facets. When someone knows they got their, I like to say their village behind them, Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. whatever they may incur, that's where that that positiveness and say, hey, there's someone I can call. And that's a yeah. big thing. So I congratulate Empower Alliance for doing this. has yeah, been awesome, Ange, Angie. It has. It has. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Because as we say, we're all the same, but we're different. We're all Absolutely. the same, but right. we're different. So your story is going to help someone listening out there because you're not the only one unfortunately who's going through issues and shame and all of that childhood and you broke through <laughs> you broke through so congratulate mm-hmm. you thank you pat yourself on the back from <laughs> whence thou have come to where you are today where thank you. you are today thank you so much you've been listening in to birth mom's real talk i'm your host yvonne rivers And we've been so happy to have Angie on today, who's director of Empower Alliance out of California. So tune in if you'd like to share your story. Go on our website, Birth Moms Real Talk, and you share your story. Follow us on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Instagram. Every other Saturday, we're on live Facebook. So if you'd like to come on our Facebook, there's either really, we've got the triad coming in on February. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got adoptees, birth moms, adoptive moms. We're going to talk together. (laughs) We're going to all talk together. So thank you for tuning in. Please listen to our podcast. Give us a good review. Pass it on. Share it with others. And we're here for you. We're here together. Join our Birth Moms Real Talk Village. That's a private group we have that we do a monthly Zoom. We started last month. We're now reading the primal womb and discussing it. So we really have this village going with that. So thanks for tuning in. I'm D. Yvonne Rivers. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening into Birth Moms Real Talk, where birth mothers share their journeys and we have an open and honest conversation about adoption. If you would like to share your story or you have any comments, you can reach us at birthmomsrealtalk.com or email us at Yvonne at birthmomsrealtalk.com. If you like what you heard, we would appreciate your support on Patreon as a supporter. Find out more on our website. Tune in next time. See you then. Oh,